Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. We're happy to have Brother Don Pelvis, and we'll turn the rest of our meeting this morning over to him. Good morning. Would you turn with me, please, to the book of Luke, chapter number 10. The book of Luke, chapter number 10. And I want to begin reading at verse number 25. If you have a Bible that has a heading, it'll say the parable of the Good Samaritan. Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, and verse number 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked, and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Here we find Jesus being tested by a lawyer, not the kind of lawyer we think of today, but a lawyer of the Mosaic Law. And he asks the question, and Jesus answers him with a question in context, a frame of reference which he would understand. What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And, of course, the lawyer answers correctly, citing portions of Deuteronomy chapter 6, which we read, which Tyler read this morning, and perhaps Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 10, rather, verse 12, and now Israel what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk on all his ways, and to love him, and to serve your God with all your heart and with all your soul? So he answers correctly, and the Lord tells him, yes, you have answered it correctly. There was no disputing here about what the law said. 
But instead of getting into an argument, the Lord uh, just simply gives him a story. You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Now, here's the problem. And this was going to be a real problem for that lawyer. It begs a question, begs a really important question. And the question is this, how does one, how does one love the Lord his God, let alone with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength, and with all his mind? How does he do that? What was difficult? Well, first of all, in order to love God, first of all, one must recognize that he exists. You cannot love someone whom you do not know. That wasn't difficult for the Jews, of course. God had revealed himself to them in many, many ways. First of all, the psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork so they could look up in the heavens and discover there is a God. But the writer of Hebrews said God did much more than that. In past times, he revealed himself in various times and in various ways and by the prophets. He even put it in the form of writing. Now God, of course, we know has revealed himself by his Son. That's what the writer of Hebrews tells us. To know the Son is to know God. Now the Son was right there in front of him. But unfortunately, he didn't recognize him as the Son. He addresses him as teacher, and he is testing him. Now, as we look at creation, that does reveal something about God's character. We wouldn't think of creation and God's character and creation being synonymous, but the psalmist declares, or the psalmist rather writes, the heavens declare his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. And when he came to planet Earth, John wrote, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. It was characterized by what? Grace and truth. So first of all, one must recognize that God exists, and that wasn't going to be a problem for this lawyer. <clears throat> but then you must know God and have a relationship with him because he says you must love the Lord, what? Your God. Wow, that's different, isn't it? You must love the Lord, your God. That implies that you're going to have a relationship with him. Now, according to the commandment, a loving relationship with your God requires four things. First of all, your heart must be changed. Your heart must be changed. Paul says to the Corinthians, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. A changed heart. Secondly, one's soul must be redeemed, bought back from the slave market of sin. The Lord himself said, For what profit is it a man if he gains the whole world 
and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So one's heart must be changed, one's soul must be redeemed, one's strength, the spiritual man, must be made alive. Here's what Paul wrote to the Romans. For when we were still without strength, ah, we didn't have the spiritual strength, <clears throat> Christ died for the ungodly. And then to the Ephesians, Paul writes, In you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and in sins. So the spiritual man must be made alive. And then lastly, one's mind must be renewed. Here's what Paul writes to the Romans. Do not be conformed to this world, but be, re be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so we see these basic things must happen. One's heart must be changed, one's soul must be redeemed, one's strength must be made alive, and one's mind must be renewed. Now, the lawyer, unfortunately, represented Israel in its backslidden state. They were looking for a reigning king, not a redeeming savior. Ezekiel prophesies that at a coming day, the Israel nationally will have a new heart. He said, I'll put a new spirit within you and take that heart of stone out of your flesh. So here's the question. How could this lawyer really love God when he had a heart of stone? That characterized Israel at the time. When his soul was resting on meaningless sacrifice, they were going through the motions. When he was striving to please God based on his own strength, his intellect, he came to test the Lord, match wits with him. How could he really love God when his mind was fixated on the letter of the law, the keeping of of the law. He knew, he knew that he could not love God with all his heart, his soul, his strength, and his mind, and his neighbor, and himself. He knew he could not do it. He understood the letter of the law, had no clue about the spirit of the law. So what does he do? Instead of admitting it, he does what a lot of lawyers do. He tries to step, step aside the issue, change the issue, change the dialogue. He wanted to justify himself. He had to be right, of course. Said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? So now the Lord does something. He tells a story. And in this story, we have a number of characters, and they speak to us. There's no argument here, no condemnation, just a very simple, heartwarming story. Six characters. Interestingly enough, no names are mentioned. That suggests to us that it may be applicable to all of us. Some possibly implied, and I'll get to that in just a minute. First of all, we find a certain man. Then we find thieves, a certain priest, a Levite, 
a certain Samaritan and the innkeeper. Now, interestingly, there are three characters that are described by the word certain. There's a certain man, there's a certain priest, and there's a certain Samaritan. Now, as you know, I don't have a lot of skill in the languages in which the scripture was written, but Mr. Vine, who does, so that that is a very specific word. It means what we read in our English translation, someone, a certain one. Perhaps Jesus had specific persons in mind when he described them as certain. You see, he wanted the lawyer to see this in real time, in his life. Something that could happen right now, could have happened yesterday, could happen tomorrow. A certain man might represent the lawyer who likely could never see himself needing the help of a Samaritan. Perish the thought that he would need the help of those Samaritans. A certain priest might well have represented the current high priest, Caiaphas, who charged Jesus with blasphemy, presided over a mock trial, and unknowingly predicted Jesus' death. And of course, we all, I think, have understood and recognized that a certain Samaritan would remind us of Jesus who related to the Samaritans. In fact, remember what the Jews said, you have a devil, you are a Samaritan, and you have a devil. He must needs go through where? Samaria. He related to them. Although a Jew, like the Samaritan, he was rejected. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Now, a Levite would represent one of many who served in the temple. An innkeeper would also be one of many who provided lodging. And a certain man would remind us of the helpless sinner. And perhaps Jesus wanted the lawyer to see himself as one who knew the commandment, but was absolutely helpless to keep it. The certain man was on a downward trend. He was going from Jerusalem, the city of peace, down to Jericho, the city cursed by Joshua. He was stripped, he was wounded, half dead. The thieves might remind us of the devil and the ravages of sin. They rob the sinner of spiritual life. To the Corinthians, Paul said, The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. This is spiritual robbery. A certain priest reminds us of the law. And he would be in a position of authority associated with the enforcement of the law. Remember, a bunch of the law is designed to protect man from his fellow man. We reflect on the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not bear false witness. That was man's inhumanity to man. Jesus chose the certain priest to enable the lawyer to see how heartless the enforcers of the Jewish law were. They became ecclesiastical thieves. Here's what Jesus said to them and about them. He said, 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour, there it is, there's robbery, isn't it? You devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. And sadly to say they are among us today, instead of enriching sinners with the glorious gospel, they enrich themselves as they devour the means of those who follow them, those who are spiritually gullible and lacking in knowledge. A Levite also reminds us of the law. Now remember, the Levites were those who performed service in the temple. Outside of the temple service, this Levite was totally out of his element. He knew what to do when he was in the temple, but he certainly didn't understand what to do outside of the temple. This might suggest to us that he had a sense of duty that were only in the confines of the temple service. And it reminds us of those who perform ritual rather than practical godly service. They're great in the sanctuary with their pomp and circumstance. But loving the Lord your God includes a merciful and a compassionate service. Paul reminds the Romans that their bodily service in view of what Christ had done for them was their right, their reasonable service. Now we find a certain Samaritan. Here's the key figure, of course, or key character, rather, in the story. A type of Christ who was filled with compassion when he walked on the planet Earth. Remember, he said, I have compassion on the multitude. He was moved with compassion when he healed those ten lepers. He showed great mercy. They cried, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Blind Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus rather, called out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. But neither the priest nor the Levite evidenced any compassion whatsoever. The certain Samaritan bandaged the wounds, poured in oil and wine. <clears throat> Jeremiah writes, Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? There's a song, maybe you heard it. There is a what? Balm in Gilead to heal the sin sick soul. Ha! The balm, the oil. He washed the bleeding sin wounds and poured in oil and wine, the hymn writer writes. Oil often speaks of the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? And wine speaks of joy. He set him on his own animal. He provided the innkeeper with provision for the man's care. And that might remind us of the fellowship of the Lord's people perhaps the church. He promises to return and repay the innkeeper for his service. So here we have the lesson. The law cannot save. It only condemns. It shows no compassion. It shows no mercy. The ability to love God with all one's heart 
with all one's soul, with all one's strength, with all one's mind, begins with a merciful God who brings about a new creation in Christ, enabling one to do that very thing. The new man created in Christ Jesus sees his neighbor as one who is in need. Each party here was making a statement. The thieves who stripped him were saying, What is thine is mine. What is thine is mine. The priest who passed by on the other side was saying, What is mine is mine. What is mine is mine. It appears they never even bothered to stop. The Levite who came and looked was saying, nothing of mine is thine. Nothing of mine is thine. The Samaritan, what do you suppose he was saying? All that I have is thine. Wow. All that I have is thine. So, Salvation comes from a merciful, compassionate Jesus. He seeks the sinner. Notice, he came where he was. That reminds us of what he said about himself. The Son of Man has come to what? Seek. Yeah, he seeks them out. Seek and to save that which was wounded and bruised totally dead spiritually, half dead. He demonstrates mercy and compassion. He had compassion on the multitude. You know how Paul explains it to the Ephesian believers. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were wounded, half dead, dead in trespasses. He's made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. He heals the sin wounds with oil and wine. Malachi writes, But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. Because Jesus was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, we read, by his stripes, we are what? We are healed. The oil and the wine. He arranges for the sinner's continual care. Take care of him. And remember, the members of the body of Christ are told to do what? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of the Good Samaritan, the law of Christ. And he promises a reward for those who care for his own. When I come again, I will repay you. And Paul says to the Corinthians, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. And then in conclusion, Paul, when he talks to the Corinthians about the fact that the Lord was coming again at a, at a day that we know not when, 
concludes this. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because he has given us the ability to love the Lord with our hearts, with our souls, with our strength, and with our mind. And the degree to which we do that has to do with how God works in our very lives. And Paul says, here's the thing to remember. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. When I return, when I return, I will never forget. I will repay you. I'm going to conclude with a thought from William MacDonald, one of my favorite commentators. William MacDonald, here's what he writes. The story of the Good Samaritan had an unexpected twist to it. It started off to answer the question, who is my neighbor? But it ended by posing the question, to whom do you prove yourself a neighbor? Say that again. The story of the Good Samaritan had an unexpected twist to it. It started off to answer the question, who is my neighbor? But it ended by posing the question, to whom do you prove yourself a neighbor? For you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, indeed, we're thankful that the Good Samaritan found us. Ah, how wounded we were. How bruised we were. We had been robbed. We had been robbed of our relationship with Almighty God. We were dead in trespasses and sin. And he reached down and he saw us right where we were, right where we were. And he bandaged us up and he healed us. He set us, our feet upon a rock. He established our going. He promised that he would return again and reward those who demonstrated the love of his God with all his heart and his soul and his strength and his mind. So, Lord, just help us to consider who our neighbor is and to demonstrate the love of Christ as we go about our daily lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.